Hello and welcome to La Pausa Pod. We've got a special guest on today as we look ahead to the Champions League. Real Madrid are playing Union Berlin in their first game. And we have the Athletics' Seb Stafford-Bloor on to speak about a team who were in the second division for over a decade, up until four years ago, and they finished fourth in the Bundesliga last season after finishing 11th, 7th and 5th in the three years prior. Seb, thanks a million for coming coming on the podcast. A pretty pretty eventful round of the of Bundesliga games at the weekend and a Union Berlin loss too. How did they look in their first game ahead, uh, ahead of their first game in the Champions League? They're okay. It seemed a little bit as if minds are on that first game in the Champions League, which to be fair to them, given their history and given some of the history of their players, uh, the opportunity to play Real Madrid is pretty enticing. More worrying, I think, was that the week before the international break began, they got a little bit of a going over against RB Leipzig at home, which is very rare. Union don't, don't lose very often um, down in Kopenick in southeast Berlin. They hadn't done so for, I think it was, um, well, certainly over a year. So just a few question marks. I think what they, what they depended on last season was a lot of chemistry, a lot of cohesion. And there are some new parts in this team and there are some players missing as well. So it looks like there are a few things to sort out. Obviously, Bernabeu is not exactly the uh, the best place to kind of to work things out, work kinks out in your system. But that that's that's how it will have to be. Well, they're going to find out pretty soon whether they're up to this level or not, because it doesn't really get much higher than the Bernabeu. And I, I read your piece on The Athletic about that that game against Leipzig and they it was a pretty, pretty intense, passionate affair by all accounts. Yeah, a bit of an ideological war, obviously, because uh, both the clubs technically of East Germany, but only really one of them is, of course, because RB Leipzig were not a club in the old East Germany, whereas Union Berlin are a very proud old East German side. And there's a lot of tension in that game, there's a lot of animosity, a lot of difference of opinion about what constitutes a football club, generally. Um, and I think what was lost amidst that sort of that 3-0 defeat was the fact that it got pretty fractious in the second half. Uh, Kevin Volland got a red card, deservedly so. Bad, bad tackle on uh, Mohamed Simakan. And uh, yeah, that kind of felt as if the emotion of the day got got the better of some of those Union players. But it was um, yeah an interesting spectacle. Also, RB Leipzig is an oddity. I don't think many people disagree with that in terms of what it is. In Germany, where the principle of 50 plus one and the idea of fan as stakeholder and supporter having agency in a football club is so sacred. A construct like RB Leipzig is a lot of fans find particularly affronting. And I can't think of too many places given Union's history of supporter involvement. Remember, this is a place where a lot of their fans helped to build their new stadium free of charge, free labor. Uh, and so when you come up against a club like RB Leipzig, club in inverted commas, who stand for everything that that fan base rejects, you're going to have some tension. And yeah, that was certainly uh, certainly the case. And coming from England, where there are a lot worse things than RB Leipzig, obviously, um, it was quite a, a quite a thing to witness. It was a very strange occasion. And um, yeah, unlike anything I've been to before, really. Yeah, yeah. So we've we've laid out a few tactical questions here just to kind of get a feel for Union Berlin because we're kind of we're in the weeds in Spanish football and we don't have that much chance to to watch too much Bundesliga. Um. So yeah, I'll just get started with those. Real Madrid are playing. They they've been playing this season in a relatively narrow diamond midfield, and that comes with certain limitations, i.e., natural attacking width and things like that. Mm-hmm. Where where exactly can Union Berlin hurt Real Madrid uh, uh, on Wednesday night? 
Real want to keep an eye on their wing backs. Obviously, a lot of us Fisher's football has gone through those channels um, in the past couple of years, particularly now. Juranovic is an excellent player on the right, Rusion on the left. Maybe Robin Gersons will play on the left. Not quite sure. Gersons is a new addition, obviously, this season. And so his place in the side is still being worked out. Very strong midfield. Um, Rani Kadira, Sammy's younger brother, was, for my money, one of the best defensive midfielders in the Bundesliga last season. Actually scored the goal, which confirmed their place in the Champions League this year. So that, that's nice. We're not quite sure whether he's going to be fit for this game. But that midfield, when it's fully stocked, uh, Laduni is in there as well. He's a really skillful, talented player. But I think what you look at with them is, and I think where Union had a lot of joy in, in European football last season, is that outwork teams. Um, they really do grind people down in the middle of the pitch. In addition to which, in transitions, they are absolutely excellent. Again, at the top of the pitch, they've changed a little bit. A lot of their football, a lot of their attacking football last season went through Geraldo Becker, who was absolutely outstanding. They've kind of pivoted away from him a little bit. So the focal point now is Kevin Behrens, who I suppose if you remember British football from the late 80s, early 90s, and you imagine the typical centre forward you might have found there, that's Behrens. Uh, great story, but brilliant in the air. Do not let him run onto a ball that's hung up on the penalty spot because he'll win it. Uh, don't care who he's facing. Uh, a really destructive, powerful forward. Uh, alongside him, um, they've got David Fafana, who's the um, lonely from Chelsea, who a bit raw and still finding his way at the top of the game, but clearly a very, very talented player. And there's a bit of chemistry there between not just um, not just him and Barons, but him and some of the wide players. Mention Juranovic and mentioned uh, Gersons and Rissian on the left. And uh, Fafana is, uh, he looks like a really talented all-round forward. So there are there are things for, for Real to, to be wary of. Also, that back three. So they will play with back three. It looks like a 3-5-2 Union Berlin, uh, their formation. Um, back three, Leonardo Benucci probably won't be one of the three defenders they face. But those players have been absolutely outstanding. And they've made some very, very interesting attacking sides look very... Eh, I'm not sure what the right word is, but um, start of ideas, put it that way. They played, I remember, probably the most memorable game from last season from, from the Europa League campaign, at least, was their performance in both legs against Ajax, who had all of these artisans in the, in the final third of the pitch, and they made them look like absolutely nothing. Um, those three players were excellent. Goalkeeper is fantastic. Um, he is not the best goalkeeper in the Bundesliga, but, but certainly among the top five. Um, Frederick Isso, he's uh, he's terrific. Um, and yeah, they're not to be underestimated. Whether I think what's interesting is whenever you find a team like this who qualify for a competition which was previously thought above their station, and when they improve, you wonder whether the players who come in are going to adhere to the, or going to add to the chemistry that existed before they arrived. And that's one of the questions that's sort of lingering in the air around Union. And when they lose games like 3-0 at home to Leipzig or they lost, as we said earlier, to, to Wolfsburg away um, uh, last weekend, still some of those questions need to be answered. So it might be a good time to face them. Yeah, I was just going to step in there. Uh, Seb, you've, you mentioned quite a lot of players I, I was, I was going to ask about there. The question was going to be, uh, who should we be watching from Union Berlin? But as you've so nicely summed up there I think you've covered a lot of it but just from my perspective looking at their team on paper as somebody who doesn't really get a chance to watch them as much as I'd like to do there's just simply not enough hours in the day 
the the um the wing backs uh just thinking about it from Real Madrid's perspective, we watched them last night against Real Sociedad and they really struggled with, with switches of play and having the legs to get out once uh, once Real Sociedad could you know, find the ball out to, to a, a fullback or, or a winger. And a game like this against Union Berlin where Real Madrid are probably going to dominate the ball, you, you would imagine, it's, it, it's an ideal game for Toni Kroos really because... Obviously, he's he's sort of leaving his his prime now, if if not already, but he's still one of the best in the world at at directing games in that fashion. So, the thing we saw last night was Kroos is still still has all that side to his game, but in the diamond midfield, he really suffered um, covering that that left channel because he just he just doesn't have the legs to do it. So, do you think the wing backs it uh, will probably be the key to the game for Union Berlin? Hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, the left. I imagine Gerson's will start, and Gerson's can run for absolute days. And he's such a professional. Sounds like such a such a, a trite compliment, but that is kind of what I mean. Is just such a solid footballer. Like he does everything well. Um, gives you a kind of really reliable productivity from that side of the pitch. The other side, I don't know how. I wouldn't describe Juranovic as a destructive wing back, but. His delivery is absolutely excellent. His set pieces are really, really good. And one of the keys to this side, um, new players, old players, whatever it's been, is clearly without the ball, they collapse into a five. So they're really, really good at protecting their own penalty box. Um, goalkeeper Renault is, uh, is good in the air. He's not going to let you down aerially. Uh, he's good under set piece, aerial pressure. So... Like Real almost certainly going to have to rely on those deeper players. You can't just play into the box against Union Berlin. You're not a, you're not going to create that many goal scoring opportunities uh, um, uh, at close quarters. So um, <clears throat> yeah, either defending those wing backs or alternatively getting in behind them. That's probably where the game is going to be won. That's funny because the next question is about a player who has been playing. As at the tip of that diamond is Jude Bellingham. You've written a good bit about him. You watched him, obviously, at Dortmund when, when he was there. And one of the things you mentioned as well was how teams look starved, starved of ideas against, against Union Berlin. And Real Madrid against Real Sociedad at times look a little bit devoid of ideas because Bellingham is the ball over the top always. And he's so combative that he, he tends to either he'll either win a free or he'll he'll win a throw or a corner and it's a great way of kind of moving moving the ball up the field so you're saying that when they collapse into a fight they don't let that ball over the top are you firstly a two-part question firstly are you surprised about how good bellingham has been since he's joined real madrid because we've just been blown away by how good he's been and and secondly is is that an area where where real madrid are going to have to think about uh, and, and, and a different way of attacking because if they're, if they're so good at cutting off that ball, obviously they're going to have to think of something else. Yeah, one at a time. Uh, am I surprised? No, not at all. Uh, it was very, very clear in the last year of his time at Borussia Dortmund, even probably before, Bellingham was going to be a star, not a really good player, but like someone who might win the Ballon d'Or in his future, just that good. I think what surprised me is probably the level of productivity. Dortmund, Dortmund do not have the midfield resources that Real Madrid do, clearly. And in some senses, Bellingham was a little bit of a victim of that because, because of his talents, because of how many different aspects of midfield play he can contribute within. 
many different phases. Like he's good without the ball, good tackler. Like he can probably, if you asked him to play any, you know, six, eight, ten, any number of those positions, what tended to happen at Dortmund was you kind of play a combination of all three all at the same time. And so what got lost was like he never really kind of had the the rich seam of productivity that he's experiencing now, but you could always see the quality. I think the one thing, if there is a surprise, it's how quickly it's occurred, just because you never know with Real Madrid, like you never know until a player gets there how he's actually going to cope with it because it's a very different environment to Dortmund. Dortmund are not expected to win their domestic league, obviously, haven't done so in any of the last 11 attempts. So uh, anything other than... um, second place is a bonus and that's clearly pretty different to life at Real Madrid uh ditto at Borussia Dortmund you're not judged on how you do in the Champions League like everybody you know they have a good Champions League history and good results are important bad results attract criticism but in Germany everything is dominated by Bayern Munich not just in terms of the league table but in terms of the media cycle too nobody cares about anything other than Bayern Munich here and so if you're a Borussia Dortmund player and if you're not playing well doesn't matter whereas Stadium's gone straight to Real Madrid, where I would argue media scrutiny is probably fiercer there than any other place in the world, I'd imagine. I never really spent any time around Spanish football. And he just loves it. He just seems to be built for that kind of stage. So, no, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, what he does against Union Berlin, it's interesting. If, you, if you'd asked me that question a couple of months ago, I would probably have imagined him as a sort of an eight roaming towards a 10 position. What are you going to do? You're going to spend most of the time outside the penalty box. In reality, now I, I, I watched the I watched the Getafe game. I didn't see this, the Sociedad game. And I watched him do pretty much everything. I watched him um, take the ball in awkward positions. I saw him get physically assaulted pretty much every time he touched the ball. Um, I saw him go beyond. Yeah, it was extraordinary. Yeah, like it's, it's a villainy. Um, it's, <laughs> One of the I haven't seen that kind of defending since probably the nineties, um, but I also saw him go beyond the ten position and, and sort of almost go up to him beyond the defensive line. And I wonder whether that's a real benefit in this kind of game because you'd imagine he will often be an extra man in the penalty box. Um, and if you can outnumber Union Berlin, if you can ex- get an extra player in those positions, then that should be profitable eventually, especially given that one on one they don't give up much in their box. But if you add another component. Um, I mean, interestingly enough, like I, I think I don't really know what to expect Union. I don't know what to expect from Union's game plan because Union Berlin should not be playing Champions League football against Real Madrid. Like the the, the whole story is ridiculous as a as a concept. If you imagine where they've been over the last twenty or thirty years, even as recently as the last decade, they should shouldn't be here. It's it's a nonsense. Mm. So actually, strategizing about what they may do in the Bernabeu is ludicrous, right? Mm. But um, I expect they'll be quite deep. I don't expect they will expose themselves to many counterattacks. And so what you'd imagine is a lot of possession around their box, a lot of um, ball movement in that kind of, in that sort of semicircle, that sort of horseshoe. Uh, and then goals coming um, either from distance or from players like Bellingham making those kind of gambling runs that seem to have been really profitable for him so far. So I'm sure he'll be... To be honest with you, the easy answer is I expect him to do well against anybody he faces at the moment just because that's who he is. And um, this is this is his kind of story in the game. This is where he's he's destined to be, I think, in the sport. <laughs> yeah, he um, obviously he's he's played every game for Real Madrid so far. And although it might make sense to, to give him a rest for, for Wednesday night, you just 
you have to imagine he's the type of player who if Ancelotti tells him he's not going to play, he's going to be, he might not show it outwardly, but he's going to be a little bit ticked off because he looks like he just enjoys playing for Real Madrid so much at the moment, even with all the pressure and the, the price tag and everything. it's He just looks like a, a young player who's having fun. But just uh, adding to what you mentioned on how it might manifest in tomorrow's game, uh, Wednesday's game, sorry. Um, there was a moment last night for Real Madrid's winning goal, actually, where Bellingham had quite a quiet game by his standards so far. But again, it's it's being in the box at the right time, uh, and he, he's always there in a way that we've just we just don't see from Real Madrid midfielders, uh, not in recent history anyway. There's a moment in the ninety ninety somethingth minute, and he's. He's made a lung busting run from the halfway line to get on the end of a cross and he nearly scores the header. So he's got this thing where, for, for the second goal um, that Jose Lu scores, he just adds confusion into the penalty area because he makes these, these really subtle runs and, and everybody knows that they have to keep an eye on Bellingham now. So last night he runs between the centre-backs, both of them look at each other and think, we can't leave this guy and... Marcelo appears at the back post. Um, but I was just thinking back to a, a tweet I saw of yours. I think it was the night that England played uh, Scotland where mm-hmm. we've we've praised Ancelotti on, on this podcast because we we never felt that him coming into Real Madrid and playing at the tip of the diamond was was a guarantee. Ancelotti had to be quite creative in inventing this position and we watched pre-season matches thinking, this is really interesting, like, we just assumed he'd come in and play in a four-three-three, box to box. But Ancelotti went out of his way to design this this role for Bellingham. And your tweet now, just to just look it up. So you were mentioning Goodness, that. What did I say? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you were saying that he's he's a really good example of how even if a midfielder can do everything, which we've seen from Bellingham, that it's it's really profitable actually to focus the quality on a more narrow area of the pitch. So Bellingham has basically played in the opposition half for Real Madrid so far. And it's just been, it's been incredible to watch. Yeah. It's also, what's interesting about that is, and probably what I should have added to that tweet is it's a privilege of talented teams, right? Because if you're Dortmund and the Dortmund, Bellingham's last season at Dortmund, that midfield was probably in its best state during his time at the club. Emery Chan had a really great season, even though he got shifted around between deep midfield and, and centre-back at different times. But that was probably the healthiest they got. Now, they needed him at different times to play all of those different roles. There wasn't really the option to say, right, we're going to play you as a 10 because they just don't have the components, or they didn't, sorry, have the components to do that. Whereas, clearly, if you're if you're Real Madrid and you've got Chiumeni and Modric and Cruz and Camavinga, if you want, behind him, you have the opportunity to construct something really special. And then when you do that, you get to kind of extract the kind of the purest essence of the player. What he reminds me of actually is Steven Gerrard. Now, like Steven Gerrard, I think we all remember as number eight. Steven Gerrard probably best as a number 10 in, in many ways, or kind of that modern interpretation of the 10. It's just that given the circumstances, given where he played the football, given what he meant to Liverpool, like it felt like in a way he was sort of, he was forced to be a number eight. And sometimes, you know, when there was no Jabby Alonso there and when Fernando Torres left and circumstances changed, his role changed with it. Whereas 
if you have the opportunity to use these players um, in a really precise way, often the output is just that much better. Gerard's best, the best part of Gerard's career, I don't think many people would argue, would be as a number 10. Um, I think that's pretty fair. Um, it's rare that you find a sort of like, I guess, a Modric type who can just do everything really, really, really well and sort of, sort of butterflies around the different midfield departments. Less so now, because obviously he's getting a bit older. But um, yeah, Bellingham for now is just ideal number 10. And one thing to add, you, you talked a little bit about how he gets forward. I think because Bellingham is so gifted technically and because so much of so much of his highlight reel is about what he does with the ball, his passing, shooting, goal scoring, and all the things he's, he's, he's really, really good at. But people forget what a phenomenal athlete he is as well. And I think that is quite difficult for some defences because he covers ground um, he covers ground quickly, of course, but in a way which doesn't look like it's much effort. So you can kind of almost underestimate his physical capacity to add himself to attacking moves. And I, I think that might be one of the reasons he sort of profited in Spain um, early on because defence aren't used to him and they don't really know what to expect from him. But also the version of himself that he's showing now is not something we really saw in Germany. So if you're, a, if you're, if you're game planning to face him, you don't have an awful lot to look at in terms of the role he's playing at the moment. It's kind of new. And you said, both, both of you said correctly, like it's being created for him. This was not what he did at Dortmund. And so um, everyone's kind of having to learn on the fly mid-game against this guy, which is supposed to be a nightmare, right? So I think that's part of it. And I'm sure his productivity will slow down as a result over time. Yeah, I think that's spot on about his his athleticism. And but I did notice he was a little bit tired last night, and I do wonder when that break is coming because he's played a lot of football, and not just played a lot of football. He's played a lot of football as the central point, as the connector between the attack and defense. Doing what you just said, and I mean, he is just uh, he's he's just a, he's a kid. Like he's he's still only twenty, so um, I, I, he he does need a break, and I wonder when that will come. But um, it has been. It's been a pleasure watching him in the last just even just five games, and it must have been fun watching him for Dortmund. But yeah, said that that that'll do it for. I mean, we, we that was really interesting in terms of as someone who hasn't watched Union Berlin, got some great insight there, and it's definitely I'm I'm really looking forward to the game now because you've laid, laid out a couple of areas where Real Madrid might struggle, a couple of areas where they might actually have a, an opportunity to take to, to 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 hurt Union Berlin and and we, we really appreciate it. We're we're, we're going to ask you back on in maybe a couple of weeks, a couple of months to talk about another mid, midfielder who played in Spain for a long time, Xabi Alonso. So um I hope I hope you'd be up for that if you if you don't mind. Absolutely, I love watching his Leverkusen at the moment. They are terrific. So he's um, he's becoming a really first class head coach. Yeah, absolute pleasure. Thanks for being Seb. Okay, so yes, some very interesting stuff there from Seb. Me and Jamie are just going to talk about the game at the weekend and continue to look forward to obviously Real Madrid have that big game against Union Berlin and then a Madrid derby. They weren't all that convincing against Real Sociedad. And Bellingham was being asked to do a lot. And as you said there during the chat with Seb, Cruz didn't have the legs to cover to cover uh, Traore driving up the right-hand side. Kubo caused problems. Did you, how, how did you, what did you think of Real Madrid? And, and do you think they were a good value for their money? I think any time you can come from a goal down to beat Real Sociedad, you have to take it as a positive overall. But, just from listening to Ancelotti after, there, there's definitely some sloppy parts to this performance and 
they were probably fortunate to get to half time having only conceded once because yeah as you said that that, that left side especially looked a real problem uh, it, it's not news that tony Kroos is is not an athlete who is who you know who's going to track hamari Traore every time he runs up the pitch but if real madrid don't have control of the game and Kroos is forced to run then that's a real problem so Taki Kubo was on fire as well in the first half, which which didn't help. So I'm sure Fran Garcia would have appreciated probably Camavinga being the guy ahead of him to try and recover a little bit better in those those times when it was unavoidable that they were going to find Kubo. But so yeah, from from up to half time, it was really good from Real Sociedad, and I think they had the game where they wanted it because they they'd got their lead. And then one thing from coming into the match that I was intrigued to see was when. Alguacil would make the call to put Zubi Mendy into the back line. We often see him drop into that five to, to really show things up. And to, to get to that point with a 1-0 lead, you'd be really happy if you were Real Sociedad. But then, I don't know about you, but I thought the goals were, were pretty poor from their perspective. And it's not something that you often say about Real Sociedad. Yeah, the Lenormand has been struggling now a bit, and I didn't think he looked great. But I think that that's actually... Uh a byproduct of the two attacking fullbacks now and that they are a little bit for more stretched and there are chances for the likes of Bellingham or to, to, to get in behind and cause some problems for Lenormand. And I think he, he did struggle. Real Madrid have won nine points now from losing positions in La Liga this season. So they played five games, they're 15 points, won all of them obviously. But nine of those three games came, they've been losing at one point. I don't know if that's like just an anecdote or if it's if it's something a little bit more concerning because I think you're right, Real Sociedad. Uh, if they take one another one of those chances, it's a seriously uphill battle, especially given their attacking output and 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 the lack of the lack of I don't know if it's coherency, but I, I think they definitely struggled in attack against Real Sociedad. Rodrigo struggled. Bellingham was being forced to drop back further because he because of the, the the pressure that Real Sociedad are putting on and Cruz was dropping out and so Bellingham had to do a lot more work than he's had to in, in the last, in the first few games and I think that that affected his attacking output and yeah Khosalu obviously is Khosalu that, that was fine but yeah I think I think Real Madrid have plenty to work on and and the, the 442 is fine until you you come up against a team like Real Sociedad and they can cause you problems so the that, that that was a huge test for that diamond midfield and it, with the diamond the, the way that it was working was too many uh, like you you were critical of his performance and and i i do agree that he wasn't connected to the game but i think that's because he's not asked to do anything or he's not asked to do enough in build-up and he can do that just fine but he's just not asked to do it it's cruz who who, who handles most of the ball in terms of building up and a lot of crew a lot of the balls are switches out to Carvajal from that left hand side or over the top to Bellingham so there's no real build up through the middle and and then he's being asked to do too much then defensively because he's being asked to cover for Cruz and in that with especially with Ayarzabal but with Bryce and Marino dropping dropping off you need you need 
and Subi Mendy, you, you need three players there, and there was only two, and, and that's why Cruz was getting sucked in because he had to cover, and then the ball out to Traore was wide open, and you kind of have to cut your cloth. Do you either stay with Traore or do you and, and spread out horizontally, or do you cover inside? And they chose to cover in the middle, and that's why the, the Tierney and Traore were having some, some luck down on the sides. We'll leave it at that for now for Real Madrid. Lots to, to discuss. But on Real Sociedad then, did you... So uh, just looking at them and looking at Ayer Sabal's output, they have none of their strikers in uh, number nines have scored yet this season. Their goals have come from Badanatea, three, Kubo, three, and then Zubi Mendy got one. And Ayer Sabal is the only striker with an assist and I don't even think he was playing as a striker when he got that assist. So is Oyer Sabal as a striker a tactical tweak or is it just a way to keep him in the 11 and to try and maybe get something going with him? Or is it a sign that Alguacil doesn't actually trust his, the strikers he has available to him right now? Because I thought that game would have been perfect for Umar Sadiq and I think Oyer Sabal has continued to struggle. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to know what Alguacil and his staff say behind closed doors not to the media because they're always going to say we trust Oyasabal 100% he's going to get back to his level we've no doubt about that but you look at the performances and knowing that there's three strikers behind him who were even Carlos Fernandez you'd probably say is the, the, the least sexy name of the three still a very serviceable striker at La Liga uh, at top flight level so Oyasabal's current performances, even if you view it through the prism of he's working hard, he's making runs at open space, even if he doesn't score himself, even if you acknowledge he's doing all those parts and he's he's doing a good job without actually inventing things himself with the ball, it's still it, it's right on the edge of just about being enough to, to keep those other three guys out of the team for the moment. But if he plays... If his current level maintains, then it's hard to see how he's going to hold on to that shirt with, with the competition behind him and the fact that Baron Achea has, has been decisive from, from left wing so far. But, and with, so many, really, yeah. but with so but, many crosses going in the last day, would you not be better having Umar City? Not so many. There wasn't like a, a mountain of crosses going in, but a lot of the play was coming from Kubo going down the right and cutting inside and, dro- and he can drop those on a dime. So, like... Uh, would would Sadiq not suit that system better? Why isn't Sadiq playing? Yeah, it's it's a good question. He looks a little bit frustrated when he comes on as well. I saw he did an interview recently saying like when he doesn't when he doesn't score uh, when he's playing, it's it's like it's really hard for him to to accept. So mm. he he sounds like a guy who really needs to play, and obviously being out injured for so long having a similar injury to what Oyasabal did to see the different levels of protagonism for both at the moment, given what they've been through injury-wise, it does feel a little bit harsh on, on Sadiq, but look, Alguacil's are obviously a top coach who sees, sees a lot more than us, but yeah, you did have the feeling watching the game last night that Sadiq really probably should have been on earlier, but I understand yeah. it's it's difficult the Bernabeu to take those decisions in the moment. And this, 
And this is a, a great opportunity now with so many games coming up. They play Inter Milan on Wednesday and it's a great chance to leave Oyar Sabal on the bench while not actually dropping him. But at the same time, Oyar Sabal, the captain, you're not going to leave him probably on the bench in your first game back in the Champions League in a decade. And yeah, I think whatever about Sadiq not starting, I think maybe bringing him on at half time and then selling the message that, oh, we want to give Oyar Sabal a break for the... Champions League because I just didn't think he affected the game as much as as he, he probably could have. And speaking about a team not affecting the game as much, we're going to just talk about Atletico Madrid now for the last last few minutes here. Uh, Diego Simeone said it's possibly the poorest performance in the time that I've been at the club. Uh, though he was obviously talking about the Valencia 3-0 win at the Mestalla um, and a couple of Hugo, Hugo Duro goals. Got the, got the ball rolling for them and they just kept on rolling then. Javi Guerra with a lovely strike, although really, really questionable defending on that for, for Atletico Madrid. Jan Oblak's positioning was poor. The whole lot just didn't look just as, yeah, the whole effort in general was poor from Atletico Madrid. And we, we've walked, we've talked through a lot of it. And effort was a big one. Obviously, they just, they just didn't, it just looked like a team that wasn't really all that interested, which has been an issue in, in for Atletico Madrid, but not sorry, not sorry, that's not fair. It hasn't been an issue, but one or two players who we'll talk about now, it's been an issue. Maybe they're out of position, maybe they don't know what they're doing. I, I don't know what it is, but what were your initial thoughts when watching the game? So to to begin to me it felt like a whatever you want to call it, intensity, commitment. It it felt like it was a problem of those intangibles, like the attitude they came into the game with, because especially with the Simeone side, when you see the number of defensive mistakes, the lack of attention, even from guys like Savage as well. I mean, he is literally in the team to, to limit errors, to be solid defensively. And if that comes at the cost of him not really using the ball very well, then that's fine. But we saw... The, the second goal, which Duro scores, where he goes through Hermoso, Witzel and Savage recovered him and he still gets through both of them and puts it past Oblak. And you think it, it, it didn't reflect greatly on Hermoso, but at least that guy is giving you a lot in possession still. Whereas if, if Savage is making errors like that that put you immediately on the back foot and just, just and he just plays so poorly, you think, what what is he actually adding? And... I don't know about you. I felt like it changed from the bad start was was down to them just not looking ready to compete for whatever reason. But from then on, it became it became a football problem. Trying to get back into the game, and I, I think we both agreed that that right hand side of Savage, right centre back, as Piliqueta, right wing back, and Llorente, right centre mid, is just not producing anywhere near enough football for. How Atletico have otherwise been playing uh, this year so far? That yeah, that football problem is what I would would have pointed at, and I think that the main problem was obviously that right hand side. I think the left hand side was fine in terms of obviously they, they've got a Carrasco problem here, and we probably didn't realize just how good he was, and they they need to find solutions in possession how they're going to create because because. Okay, Hermoso does definitely offer you that at least, and the defense the defense can always he can always crumble as, as a defender, and, and that's always just uh, possible with him. 
but the on in ball on ball stuff definitely makes up for that on the other hand on the other side of the field this is the problem that i'm talking about here in that and it's kind of like what i talk about real madrid in terms of do you cover the middle or do you do you hang out do you stretch yourself horizontally and what real madrid did was they left alba alaba and and rudiger inside but savage actually chased javi Guerra into the middle whenever bryce and Mikel moreno dropped out they that was that was left to the midfield to cover Valverde, Chumani, Cruz. That was left to them, and they and they closed in narrow, and they left the fullbacks free. Whereas Atletico were trying to kind of press Gaia, and that left a hole in the middle where Llorente was, and Javi Guerra was popping up there, and that was that was then Savage's um, responsibility. He was dropping out, and Javi Guerra, even though he's just a kid, he could see this this this. Um, Savage is coming to meet me here. I'm going to turn and go. And Savage was racing towards him. Guerra just dropped off and was in behind. And there is no better left back in Spain at the moment than Jose Luis Gaia to find that ball. The first goal came from it because what happened then was Canos, he was waiting for the second ball. And that, that's where the first goal came from. There was another time when that happened again and Javi Guerra got in behind. And what... Valencia are really good at this, and I was looking up the stats from this. They 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 put the ball up to Hugo Duro, who's not a big number nine or anything like that, and he competes, and then they win the second ball, and they kind of surround the ball there like that. So basically, the stats here say that Hugo Duro has been involved in twenty six aerial duels, which is fifth in the league among forwards. And and if you look at the names up there, like Moriki, Budimir. La uh, Tassa, players like that, he's amongst them. Now, they've all won far more than him. He's only won eight. But if you watch him against Witzel, against anyone, he'll always get his body in, in front and he'll kind of charge charge into Witzel. And then Valencia win the second ball. That was, a, that was a problem. Atletico fixed this in the second half by bringing on Molino. Aspilacueta was the one dropping out to get at. And he's not the quickest in the world, but he's a little bit more mobile than Savage. And he could actually go with Guetta and turn and, and, and sprint when he needed to. And it, that did seal that off a little bit. Now, obviously, Valencia also didn't have to press the issue because they were leading 2-0. But, yeah, I think this is a football issue. And I think the problem here is, is that Atletico, when they're good and they've got their full team, Rodrigo de Paul, Molina on that side, and Koke... Hermoso and I don't know whoever is going to replace Carrasco. We don't know what that's going to be like. But when Carrasco is there, when they're good, they're really, really, really good. And they can compete against pretty much anybody. The problem is that fall off once they go into the second string, it looks now like it's, it's they're not going to be able to rest players. There are just certain players that they look like they quite clearly cannot be without. And for me, it looks like Molina, uh, De Paul, and who else would you say? Uh, yeah, pr- probably those two for now. I feel like their their the productivity of their play really drops off once they lose those two because De Paul, as a passer who plays forward, they don't have anybody like him. Maybe Barrios could be like him in time, but for now, the, the guys having to play is the the deepest midfielder and I I worry for him a little bit as in 
I, I hope he's not going to be the one who's going to get punished from this game for his performance because I thought, yeah, it wasn't wasn't a great performance in a defensive sense and he looked a little bit naive, but I felt like he was still showing more than the likes of Llorente did. Um, Lamar That's obviously the problem. Is, yeah, Lamar's obviously that- long-term injury now as well. Yeah, Llorente is the player. Like I mean, you said they don't have any. They don't have anyone like Rodrigo de Paul. In in theory, they do. In that Llorente is is very similar to de Paul. But whatever has happened to him, he just couldn't couldn't didn't know his role or 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 couldn't do it or couldn't interpret the game properly. And yeah, he he looks just like a player who's lost. We spoke about this during the Real Betis game. Simeone called him out during one of the water breaks, and it hasn't improved. Yeah. I, I think if Llorente is not affecting the game as a runner going forward, then he doesn't have any effect at the moment, unfortunately. Like, if he's not making that run that we used to see all the time when they had Trippier and he would feed the mm. ball around the outside for him, if that's not on, he looks like a player who can't really contribute in, in the current setup. And 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 the problem and the problem with Aspilicueta on the right hand side is that he might be okay defensively. He's not going to get in, he's not going to get beaten one on one that often. The problem is going forward. Gaia, he's never outrunning Gaia, whereas Molina actually might, and that that that's what caused Valencia to maybe to think about Atletico as an offensive entity. Whereas when Aspilicueta was on the right hand side, Gaia was just looking going, I don't I don't have to respect this because you're not gonna run me no matter what happens. And then Llorente <laughs> got nullified. And yeah, I think I think this is a football problem and and yeah, but credit to Baraja, credit to Valencia, they look they look are they gonna win the league, are they? <laughs> let's relax, let's relax. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel bad because I keep writing them off in a way, but it's nothing towards Baraka or, or what the players are currently producing. It's just, yeah, all logic says that Valencia have a, have a flawed squad of players, and I think that's that's quite clear. Beyond Amala, who came off the bench in this game, second half, and Yeremchuk, we'll see what he looks like. It feels like beyond that, they don't really have alternatives, and yeah. the young players are, are, are doing incredibly well, and Baraka continues to show us that this is a, a very good out of possession team. That they're the second best defense so far this season for expected goals against. Baraka is doing his part there, giving them the organization and, and the clarity of how they want to play. And the legs of the youngsters is is amazing. I think we'll talk about Javi Guerra a bit, but I think we also have to acknowledge Pepe Lu because he's just the general of of this this very young team. Yeah, for all the for all the team's flaws, that starting three in the middle is Pepe Lu, Javi Guerra, and Andre Almeida. That's a really really nice midfield and loads the really nicely balanced, loads of legs, loads of technique, and and I think they look good. And yeah, we pointed that out about Baraja at the end of last season. He made them really solid defensively. He's continued on that, and obviously, just like you said, that's going to be a problem. That the, the drop off in quality once the the, maybe a couple of injuries kick in and stuff that's probably when they're going to start to struggle when these 18 and 19 year olds start to really feel the fatigue of a La Liga season and they need breaks and that who's going to come in and replace them because they're already they're already a team who are I don't mean scraping the bottom of the barrel but they're they're digging deep into the resources already so you just wonder how deep they're going to go I think Sergi Canos is a really good sign and I liked him when he played for Brentford and I often wondered like what 
why didn't another team come for him? And I thought he looked really good against uh, in 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 that game. And yeah, Javi Guetta, he just has his buckets of talent and technique, interprets the game quite well. He's confident and productive too now with that goal and like he, he just looks like a player who could be knocking on the door of a, even a Spain call up if he keeps this up. Yeah, yeah, you wonder if um I'm not sure who I'd put my money on to do it first between Pepelu and Javi Guerra at the moment. Obviously Guerra long long term because he looks just just wildly talented. Pepelu is more of a a corrective player who just yeah balances the team does does all all the bits that you might not see if you're not really paying attention. He's what a an opportunity it was to sign him. Just the fact that Levante didn't come up. He's obviously close by in the city for, for five million euros. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous <laughs> the value that Valencia found there. Um, yeah, obviously they've got a bit lucky with the uh, the regional ties and. Having that, we know they're not the best at transfers uh, under the current regime. So, I mean, what what a godsend Pepe Lu has been. That's that's what you say, Jamie. They're currently sitting fifth in La Liga. Oh, they're not good at this. Is exactly what they want you to think. Oh yeah, we're in, we're in, we're tanking, we're we're selling all of our <laughs> assets and that. And then <laughs> thank you. Yeah, you can't tank in in a, in in, the, in European football. But yeah, our, our listeners, you can't actually see Jamie right now talking about Pepe Lopez. There's a smile on his face, and if you could just see it, it's so <laughs> proud. He's been he's been banging the Pepe Lopez drum now for a while, and he's finally getting to see him in a in 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 La Liga operating at a really high level. And no, I think I think yeah. Valencia che- are really check the tweets, check the tweets, yeah. check the receipts. <laughs> They're all back, there. Type in. <laughs> the receipts are there <laughs> but anyway yeah so that's we're gonna leave it there that's that's it from us here for this episode by the and by, by the time you hear us again we will have had a full round of champions league games real sociedad sevilla atletico real madrid and barcelona and a lot a full round of europa league games betis via real too and we'll also have had a madrid derby we probably didn't think this out very well jamie because we're probably going to be talking about atletico madrid and real madrid next week too but anyway we'll 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 figure it out as we go and we're going to we're going to have a lot to pack in next tuesday so make sure to follow us on twitter at la pausa pod we're going to be tweeting from there during the champions league games and all the league games as normal and yeah we hope to we, we hope to that you listen and we hope that you enjoyed and from us from this episode it's adios